welcome to Globally Speaking, a podcast about connecting with global audiences. Globally Speaking is designed to explore the challenges involved in breaking down language and communication barriers. Our hosts and guests, thought leaders and industry experts, discuss their experiences on a range of topics related to content, communication and customer engagement. Welcome to today's episode. Hello, everyone. Um, today, we're delighted to have James Ka on this new episode of the Globally Speaking podcast. James is a principal XM catalyst with Qualtrics XM Institute and one of Europe's leading experience management experts. Welcome, James. Thank you so much for being here today. Hello. Um, hello. Please, could you tell us uh, and our audience a bit more about yourself and the Qualtrics XM Institute? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the opportunity to come on the podcast. I'm thrilled to be here, really excited to have this conversation. Um, So XM Institute um, is part of Qualtrics and um, we are a a thought leadership. We're a think tank. So we do thought leadership. Um, We have over 750 free assets on our website at xminstitute.com that you can go and download for free and used to accelerate your customer experience, employee experience, brand or product experience program. Um, we have a community. It's, it's another big focus for us is our community. We have over 7,000 experience management professionals in our free community that you can join. Um, that's called XM Pros. And um, primarily, we have lots of events on there, um, dozens of events every year that you can take part in or just observe if you if you wish to. And the final string to our bow is training and certification. So we have things like XM Fundamentals, um, XM Professionals Certification and our newest offering, which is XM Masters Program as well. So our whole ethos is around helping to propel um, the experience management industry and also experience management, customer experience, employee experience, practitioners to help you accentuate and propel your career forward as well. So career development makes up a lot of um, a lot of our scope as well. Very nice, and I highly recommend having a look at the assets um, on the you know on the website that just, you just mentioned. There's there, a lot there. There's a lot. Uh, there's a lot, and a lot of interesting uh, stuff to read there. So yeah, um, feel free to go have a look, everyone. Um, and in this sounds really interesting. But in all of this, what motivates you? You know, and what keeps you awake at night? Yeah. So I usually sleep very well, frankly. But <laughs> <laughs> what, which what, is better? <laughs> it, it's good. It's always good if you can get the right amount of sleep. We would recommend that. But um, what? What? It's when I've got something really. Um, that I'm trying to think through is what would actually keep me awake. It's when I've got something that I'm trying to work on a model. So I really thrive and always have done as a, as a customer experience practitioner, um, which I still see myself as, um, and I was before I joined um, Qualtrics Exam Institute as well. It was, I love seeing the results of and the outcomes of initiatives or projects and mm-hmm. innovations that you put in place as a CX practitioner. Um, I love it when XM professionals come back and they tell us that they've used something from the XM Institute that one of the team or myself has put together. And you know that people have really found value in something that you spent quite a lot of time over. And um, it's, it's really it's really easy for us to think that we're publishing something on a website. And often we don't see some feedback of how it may be used. So when we do see that feedback, it's really good and it really motivates me. Yeah. Um, and we publish some quite really detailed methods. Um, everything we publish is is very um, very agnostic to different technologies or 
different um, ways of working and processes. So the stuff that we publish, you can take and apply to your own organization very easily. And so mm-hmm. I love seeing the result of things like that. Certainly when we do big events and people come up and say to you, oh, I took something from something you did on the website and it's really helped me overcome a problem in our organization. That's what I really, that's what really motivates me to do more. And I absolutely love the speaking part of our our job as well as Experience Management Catalyst, which is our job title. Um, we're spread all over the world. We've got myself here in EMEA, and then we've got uh, colleagues in uh, Australia and in uh, various parts of the US as well. And we all get out and about and do lots of speaking. And I really love doing that kind of thing to big audiences as well. So I always find those really motivational too. That, that's really amazing. And I actually had, will come back to that later, but I had the chance to see you speaking. Uh, I'm ah. always so impressed because I like, I'm quite, you know, like, I guess I'm not that at ease with, um, talking in front of a, of a huge audience. COVID had, has not helped with that. <laughs> Definitely sure. not because now we do it online, you know, yes. but, um, yeah, very, I find it very impressive when people are just a lot like able to be so at ease, you know, with, uh, sharing their experience. And at the end of the day, you, it's possible, like, I could tell that you were enjoying it. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Do you know what, for <laughs> everyone, public speaking is, is a great thing. Um, and, and I was at the start of my public speaking career, which was a long, long time ago now, um, where I was working for individual companies and, and accentuating or telling and promoting the story of how we've improved customer experience. I always found it very a very anxiety-forming thing. But actually, that's one of the things that got me into it. Is that let okay. me do let me do some of these events because it's it's something that I can overcome. But you right. know, no one that does any kind of public speaking, if they tell you they're not a bit anxious or they they've got heightened senses before they do their their yeah. slot, that's not true. Everybody is absolutely right. a bit nervous <laughs> of it, even if you're really used to doing it. But yeah. um, I find that the more that you can prepare yourself and the more that you can get ready and know your audience and be yourself, um, really Definitely. comes across. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the more you do it, the less you're scared of it. You know, it's like for everything, you step yeah. out of your comfort zone once and then yeah. second time is less hard and so on. So, it is. Yeah. I do find I'm really I'm a bit nervous beforehand, but the minute you get up on stage, things just kind of go and you go with the flow. And, yeah. and they're always a bit different each time for me as well. So I, I tend to kind of in my prep, I will sometimes script some things out to give me that preparation, but very rarely do I use that. I do. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. So um, as you probably know, we recently polled 6,500 consumers across 13 countries to find out um, how they like to engage with brands online. And one of the big topics that emerged from this research is trust. Um, The headline, headline, sorry, finding around trust is that although people tend to trust brands with a physical local presence more than online brands, uh, this can easily be offset by offering a localized online experience, um, an experience that takes into account someone's individual preferences um, and, and local culture. Does this surprise you? And um, beyond providing a localized experience, how could company nurture and indeed retain trust with their customers? Yeah, it, it's interesting. It's a great piece of research. Um, if anybody listening, you should you should definitely check that out and take a look. It actually doesn't surprise me too much. Um, and that's because, I guess, of my background. Immediately before Qualtrics, I was working with the UK post office as head of customer mm-hmm. experience. And um, for a long time, I've known that a very local presence can really embed trust with your customers. And that's because in places like the post office, customers don't see, um, they don't kind of view it that they're dealing with a national entity. 
which would be Post Office Limited, their relationship is with the people in that local branch just around the corner. And that local branch is run by very often a family that's very local and they live in the community. They work, of course, in the community and they see those people in their community every day because lots are coming in to run their localized businesses. So Mm -hmm. post office being very embedded into these uh, local communities really does foster trust. It's one of those things that if you could bottle the relationship building strength of something like an organization like the post office, it would be tremendously valuable to a lot of organizations. Mm -hmm. But you're right, if you're a digital company, a digital organization, and your front of house or your front line is your website or your app, then the only way really for you to get that localization is to come down to knowing your customers so well that you can surface information and suggestions to them that that actually does go towards fostering that trust in that you're meeting me where I am rather than mm-hmm. me coming to you on your platform to understand um, or to, to transact with you on your terms as a business. Um, it's human to human interactions that build this trust. And Completely. of course, if you can't, it's very difficult. It's going to be impossible to get human to human interaction purely on an online sense. Um, of course, you can have interactions over um, online video platforms, as we all do. But we all know and we've all read stuff lately on, on LinkedIn and wherever else you consume um, your content that there's a lot in collaboration. There's a lot in physical human to human interactions. And we always mi- tend to be more task-based or transaction-based when we're having an online meeting. Um, Mm -hmm. So anything you can do to have those kind of human-to-human interactions and build trust through your online interactions is really important. And there was some, we did some recent um, research in XM Institute that asked um, people what they actually want out of or when they want human contact, human-assisted against when they would want self-serve. And the results might not surprise you initially in that um, what we found, we, we presented respondents with uh, nine different scenarios, things like booking an airline ticket or getting an update on an online order that you may have made or selecting a mobile plan or scheduling a medical appointment, things like that. Mm-hmm. Now, for things like buying a mobile plan, scheduling a medical appointment, um, re- apply for a new bank account to purchase a new TV, those were the respondents were very heavily weighted towards saying that they wanted human assistance. And okay. it's kind of because it's things that you don't do very often. True. So you want a bit more, you want a human to say, actually, there you go, that meets your needs, that works for you. But mm-hmm. there were two scenarios, which was the booking of an airline ticket and to get a status on an online order that you've, that you've recently made. Those things were heavily swayed towards self-service. Okay. So it's interesting to see those. And some things like receive medical advice on a minor issue were really heavily swayed towards human assistance because you want that confirmation. But actually, when you look at things like buying an airline ticket or getting the status on that that order that you've ordered to come to be delivered, um, they're run of the mill. They're usual things. They're very you do them very often. However, when something goes wrong with that, it switches and people really look for human assistance. So online environment, you can take steps towards really understanding the environment that your customer operates in within the, the personalization of their experience and to bring that as local to them as possible so it means more to them. Mm. This, this, of course, relies on a lot of data, large amounts of data and okay. the right use of that. Yeah. And I was going to say about, you know, for example, the order that like for which you just want the status, then you're happy to do it on your own. But then if it's the next phase where you don't know where it is or, you know, you, you got a message saying it was delivered, but it, it actually isn't delivered, then you want to talk to someone. You know, this is exactly where it kind of 
switches, I guess. Absolutely. And when you then get yeah. to that stage that you want some yeah. sort of different, more humanized interaction, person to yeah. person, the helpfulness of your agent or the person really that you come into everything. contact with, it absolutely means everything. There was a mm-hmm. there was another piece of research which um which really resonated with me as well around um the impact on service satisfaction mm-hmm. around how satisfied um a a customer would be against their if their wait time what is the what is the impact if their wait time was really good if their issue resolution was really good mm-hmm. or if their agent helpfulness was really good and the impact on satisfaction on wait time being good was only 2.7 times in satisfaction issue resolution was 5.8 as you'd expect you okay. solved my problem and so I'm much happier with that. I'm much more satisfied. However, with issue resolution being 5.8 times, it was 6.2 times likely to be, they're 6.2 times more likely to be satisfied if the agent helpfulness is really good. Okay. Which, even if the issue wasn't resolved, but the person wow. on the phone or the person on the other end of the, the online chat I'm having, you mm-hmm. could tell and you have the feeling that they were so helpful, they were empathetic mm-hmm. towards your needs. It goes a long, long way. Yeah. Um, and so these things have human success, effort and emotion. Emotion has by far the biggest impact on satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And this is why as a brand, it's so important to, you know, to have employees that you can trust with this service kind of thing, you know, to have employees that are going to be able to give this human, you know, or this kind of service. That Absolutely. And yeah. we, we saw in the further research of that as well, we saw when we judged success, effort and emotion against the likelihood to purchase more, the likelihood to recommend, um, the likelihood to forgive a bad experience, and indeed to come to your point, the likelihood to trust that organization in the future. Mm. Emotion had this huge, um, almost mm. out, outweighed impact on purchase more. It was something like 86% um, mm. for people. Really, yeah, yeah, yeah. Against something like um, 80% likely to purchase more against a good or bad experience. So it's, it's got a huge impact. But of course, getting the emotion across to your customers in an online environment is much, much more um, trying than it is to do face to face. And in fact, if you even try to change those behaviors and coach those behaviors in a face to face environment, what you're trying to do is you're trying to coach and change your agent's behaviors. And actually, Mm -hmm. it's inherently quite difficult for us to change our inbuilt behavior. Um, So sometimes you find people that are working on the front line of your organization, they just get people. And they're that Mm -hmm. kind of naturally good person. But for some people, we need to coach and train that in. And training and coaching for things like empathy and helpfulness and correct use of knowledge is a bit easier. But it's it's quite a a long, long process. Mm -hmm. And um, as we all know, once you've lost someone's trust, like to talk about the contrary now, you know, it's incredibly difficult to get it back. Um, Our report highlights that among those customers who have lost trust, almost half in Canada, Germany, and the UK say they will never use the brand again. So what would be your advice for a company that has lost, you know, this trust? And that's really interesting and interesting to hear the UK mentioned in that as well, is that mm-hmm. they'll, they'll immediately go to the, and I'm a little bit like this as well. I've only got to have something happen that's pretty bad. And I'll be immediately like, no, I'm looking for someone else to actually mm-hmm. uh, to transact with. Because we've all got competitors now, even those that maybe didn't have them in the past. Um, I guess. One of the things that allows you to recover if you've had, um, if a customer has had a bad experience is um, how quickly you fix that issue, how robustly you fix that issue. Yeah. Um, 
if, if you're going back and checking that you fixed that issue to the satisfaction of your customer, that's when you will gain more trust back than just having a succession of smaller, really mm-hmm. good transactions. Um, if you can go above and beyond and really show that you thought about them, the customer, their mm-hmm. situation, be empathetic to their individual um, situation, that allows you to take some sort of small steps. And we're not talking big monetary things here. It's about, mm-hmm. you know, it's the thought that counts. And it really is. And it, it provokes emotion in the customers. And that's what they'll that's mm-hmm. what they'll um, remember the most. But if you've lost that customer, of course, as you say, it's it's more costly. It's more difficult to get that customer back. But publicly demonstrating how you're resolving customer complaints or customer issues is a big thing that you can do. And I think sometimes this is this is a bit do I or don't I for organizations because they're kind of thinking, well, do I want to publicize the fact that some of my customers have had complaints? Some of my customers have had issues. But if you're following that up straight away and in that same story, you're telling mm-hmm. how you've robustly fixed that so that and the changes you've made internally. This is what customers want. They, If they give you feedback, they expect you to do something with it. And so if you're not taking action and taking then taking action and making it public about what you've done and, and closing the loop effectively with that customer, they can assume that you haven't done something, in which yeah. case other people read this and all they see is the complaint. But broadly, listen to your customers, act on what you hear and be very consistent in your approach to doing that because you don't want to be a one and gone type Mm -hmm. situation in a company so it's all around the long term and making sure that customers know that should they have a bad experience which we all get with all organizations at some point even the best Mm -hmm. ones Mm -hmm. you've got to be consistent and show what you can do here exactly and so to some extent for brands listening to us out there we're all human a mistake can happen Um, exactly the important thing is how you react to it how i guess quickly but most importantly how what's the you know what what you can how you can rebuild the trust in the sense that you're there to fix it um and and make it better and it's to some extent better to make a little mistake and fix it better rather than keep it a bit you know Absolutely. um average all the time um so yeah um another question would be there are some really great examples out there of brands offering an exceptional customer experience and, of course, some that don't. Um, maybe could you give us any examples of companies that are getting it right and, and why? Uh, and what are the common pitfalls of companies that are maybe failing to impress with their customer experience? Sure. So great CX. I mean, what examples have I seen? I've seen um, recently a, a, an, an online pet supplies retailer. Okay. Um, online only, haven't got um, physical stores, nice. but their their policy is very, very empathetic towards customers that have had, they've sadly lost a pet. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, they may have supplies that they bought from that organization that now are sitting there as a very emotionally charged yes. living reminder of that pet that they've lost. And we all know mm-hmm. about our love, our love for pets. It, 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 it crosses borders. Um, and their policies are, are like, no, you know, we can we can take that back. We can give that to local charities. You can pick the local mm-hmm. charity you want to give that to. Um, we can tell you the story of where that those kind of supplies have gone on to make really good for mm-hmm. some pets that might not have homes that need rehoming and things like that. Shelters and rehoming centers. Um, a recent flight um, where I took the approach by the cabin crew was absolutely exceptional. Um, okay. It was very non-transactional. Um, this was a big airline, um, mm-hmm. very non-transactional, very personal. They 
took the point of remembering your name, which seems so small. And you could think, well, you can mm. look that up on, on the roster of who's on the plane. They did, but they remembered it and they used it throughout the flight. Um, against, and, but actually consistency um, clearly is a little bit of a problem there because on the flight back with that same supplier, it was uh, that same airline. It wasn't anywhere near as good. Okay. Um, fun- functionally, it was there, but it was the people on that flight that were making it great. Mm. Um, but companies getting it right are the ones that are clearly showing that they're being more human. Um, mm. They're being more proactive. They're being more deliberate in their experience offering. Um, and if you can be more deliberate in your experience offering, this is where you get consistency. And we all know to look at things like the, the kings of consistency in product of someone like um uh, McDonald's, where you go into and you know exactly what you're going to expect, and that's exactly what you get in the majority mm. of offerings and locations. But sometimes the experience changes a little bit in different different stores that you get. Nevertheless, it's very consistent, um, and the product is very consistent. So mm-hmm. I think where you can be deliberately good in your experience offering, rather than being good by chance because someone happens to actually be a people person and they're interacting with their customers, that seems to be a strength. Common pitfalls for companies that are failing to impress. Well, I guess first off, ones that are not listening to employees, actually, rather Mm. than in the customer experience space. This um, We've done a lot of research into this and actually um, it makes employees less engaged, which in turn, in this virtuous cycle of employee experience that impacts customer experience, and then, of course, your financial results. If you don't listen to your employees, they don't Mm. believe you're listening. Mm. You can't really empower them very well. Um, And the research I saw was averagely um, organizations, or rather the uh, the employees of those organizations, 60% on average were saying their company doesn't listen to them enough. How many percent? 60%. 60%. 60%. And that's on average. So, you know, if this was if this was 5, 10, 15%, that would still yeah. be an issue. But actually 60% is really it's hard. A lot. Yeah. And if you're not listening to your employees, then you're missing a massive trick. Because as we all routinely say, let's ask the front line, let's ask our employees, because mm. they routinely have the answers to a lot of the challenges that we have. They know, but they haven't got a voice. Um, mm-hmm. So that is a big pitfall that we're seeing. And we're seeing that out of our research. For me, I see um, organizations really not listening to customers, but doing that publicly. So they might okay. say on their social media, a customer will contact them because they want it to be public. They've had a problem. They want the company to respond. Mm-hmm. However, what the company does is they come back and they go, yeah, thanks for that. We're happy to receive your feedback. We're really sorry your experience. We fed that back. That, okay. in the customer's eyes, is being fobbed off. Okay. You've not listened to me. You've given me a stock response that you're going to feed that back internally. Yeah. You're not closing the loop. I can't really see what action you take. you've taken. And then from the back of that, there's no action publicly that's been taken quickly, not even to come back and say, actually, we've resolved this internally. We can't say mm. what, we're, what we're doing here. What was the right answer then? What's the right answer? The, the right answer is to, um, I guess, go back to that customer on the public platform and say, thank you. We apologize. Mm. We have taken that seriously. We have taken action at local level. Mm-hmm. Um, now, okay, you might not be able to say exactly what take action you've taken, but just by going back and saying what you've done, and then you yeah. publicly, then you can follow up with that customer personally okay. and say, we pointed out that we'd taken action um, publicly, but actually, if you can, and what you can say, here's a bit more detail on the action that we've actually taken. Um, mm-hmm. We hope that you would see us again. Now, I've had complaints that I've, I've lodged with 
maybe large and maybe small organizations. And sometimes the response is, we really appreciate your feedback. Thank you very much. Here's a voucher to use next time. Now, going back to your first point, especially for people in the UK, Germany, and you mentioned another, we have no intention of going back to that organization. So their immediate thought is, thanks for the feedback. We'll deal with that internally. However, here's a voucher so that you can come back. Why would I take mm. advantage of that mm. unless I was particularly price driven? However, I'm complaining about the experience I've had. So maybe I'm not as price driven as I might have, they might think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I do have a quite a, a, um, a high value voucher actually sitting on my email that I'm not going to use because yeah. I don't want to have another bad experience and actually give of that course. organization more money on top of the voucher. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's 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 a funny one. Um, not being proactive, um, just reactive is another thing I see as a pitfall. Sometimes you don't mm -hmm. need to wait for something bad to happen to show the, and talk about the stories that you're doing to really improve experiences. And um, another thing we see as well for our research is organizations designing for averages, not cohorts or groups of customers. Because um, if you design for everyone, you're hitting too much of a broad audience. Depends what exactly. your target audience is. But certainly, you know, get to know your customers, bring those, bring those groups in and really scrutinize those so that you know who you're designing for and what they actually need. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was uh, Canada, Germany and the UK, just to answer your ah, question. Canada too, yes. And, yeah, you mentioned... You know, the human side, it seems like it's all about it. I mean, more than ever, uh, with the, um, with the world we're living in, really, <laughs> yeah. uh, people want to see content that is more human and brands need to start aligning to this desire. Um, and the way we use words has also a great role to play with this. So I remember in, um, in the presentation I was talking about earlier, uh, that I had the chance to attend back in January, in February in London. Uh, you mentioned that 2023 is the year of empathy. Would you mind telling us a bit more? Um, on your view on this? Yeah, so XM Institute has, um, we label every year um, and, and give it every year a topic. Um, we look at our research, we look at our findings across the year, we listen to experienced management practitioners across the year before we name the following year. And this year, 2023, we did, we named the year of empathy. We think it's one, it's hitting exactly in the space of being more human, because what mm -hmm. could be more human than being empathetic towards your, your customers? Um, And we've done a, a number of different um, pieces of research on this, and you'll see quite a bit of that on our website. But yeah, you're right. There was a, a particular slide that actually, and I find this tremendously interesting, the levels of emotion that can be influenced mm -hmm. by the small individual pieces of language that we choose to use with our customers or internally with our employees as well. And there was one particular slide that you're probably, return, uh, I think, referring to around building emotional vocabulary that... Yeah, around emotional expressiveness. So we could say in our use of language that we are happy or we could say that we are overjoyed to be on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, we could say we're going to be really sad when the podcast comes to an end or we could say that we're heartbroken, that it's finished, it's over, really enjoy myself. Um, but the, the language, the words that you choose to use can have a very different emotional prompt in your customers. Being angry or furious or afraid or terrified, it, there's a much bigger emphasis on the emotion that you would mm -hmm. get and you get that back from your customers. So if you're mm -hmm. sympathizing with your customer, using the right language can really pay dividends if you're dealing with, say, a complaint. And as we know, and we talked about earlier and touched on, emotion is a huge, big, huge driver for trust. And it leads to repeat business and higher purchases. So using things like um, when we talked about designing for cohorts, using things like personas to understand your customer groups, 
and the kind of emotional space that they might op- operate in. And we're getting to mm-hmm. some quite low level, mm-hmm. but you need to because you need to understand your customers so that you can localize and you can buy in and get them to buy in. Exactly. Um, it's, it's a very interesting space, but the use of language has a, a much bigger effect than people think about. And we probably don't think about that enough. Yeah. It's so, it's so important to know your audience and also from, you know, the, like you mentioned the localization perspective of it all, but, um, let's say an audience based in this country won't have the same, um, expectations as to, you know, the level of language that is used to compare to another audience and people like it a bit more, like a, a bit less ex- exaggerated, sorry, for example, you know, uh, and have, and get more trust out of a language that is a bit more neutral, whereas some people, some other cultures, they will need something that is really all about making it sound big and, you know, um, so you, one key is knowing your audience 100%. Absolutely. There's, there's lots of different cultural impacts. Um, yeah. across the world, of course, and some are much, much stronger than others. Some people, some customers want things to be much more transactional, much more operational. Mm-hmm. Um, some people are not too worried. Some cultures are not too worried, um, as, as others might be about friendliness. Um, mm-hmm. exactly. nearly all, nearly all want to understand at some level the, or, or to see the right use of knowledge for the situation you're in. Um, mm-hmm. you don't want to see overuse of knowledge because that becomes officious and exactly. to the customer, why don't you understand this? When actually you're the customer, you're not ex- really expected to know this. The organization should know. But there is a good way of of kind of prompting humans generally into making the right decision um, mm-hmm. and designing your processes and, and um, interactions so that humans, customers feel like they are making that decision intuitively. Um, mm-hmm. Things like um, simplicity over complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, very often, if there's a complaint, people will try and um, store colleagues, let's say, will try and explain to you what process they've got to go through. And as a customer, you don't overly care. As yeah. long as as long as they get it done and they're going to own it for you and you're <laughs> going to get the result you need, they're not too worried exactly. about whether something's going to a warehouse or where it's going. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of things you can do there to kind of nudge humans in the right direction and make yeah. them feel intuitive rather than making them feel like they've got it wrong, mm-hmm. which is never good. And I mean, I can also say in my own behavior, when I think about, you know, what you just said, like, what really matters to me now, I I don't know if it's because there's so much content online, or if it's because maybe we tend, we tend a bit, you know, in the last years to overdo everything, but I just want the process to be simple. I don't want complicated words. I want it to be clear. I want to understand what's happening. And uh, maybe it was a bit less like this before, you know? Um, so, I think we've, yeah. we've all been hit by loads and loads of online materials. And you say, exactly. you're quite rightly so, over the last two years, we, we've been forced into that situation because organizations mm-hmm. have had to because of the pressures that we had. And mm-hmm. a lot of things haven't changed for, for a lot of organizations and customers. That premise, that approach has kind of stuck because there were some benefits out of that to the organization. Mm-hmm. They, they've saved a lot of money in some cases. Mm-hmm. Maybe that pays off against where they've had to spend a lot of money dealing with COVID and the, the, the disruption that that gave. For some customers, that really works. But for a lot of customers, particularly customers that might fall in and out of vulnerable states, mm-hmm. um, vulnerable positions, that can be devastating, actually. Yeah. And it can really make the difference between yeah. whether they're going to transact with an organization as to whether they can get the kind of help they need you're um, right. But but to be able to make buying decisions based on context as well, yeah, um, and and look at past decisions, uh, past experiences with that organisation and with others, 
and they all go into informing the decisions we make. But for some people, they really don't. Customers on a whole, they don't really want to change an organization, especially with banks mm-hmm. and financial mm-hmm. institutions. They want okay. to but sometimes they feel like they just can't because the experience has just been handled so badly. So, yeah, it depends how things are handled very much. Of course. Yeah. Um, and now if you had maybe one advice for a company that wants to go global, reach to new markets, you know, with everything we mentioned before, trust, human, like, do you maybe have, you know, something to to say which would be your main advice, you know? Um Well, it's, it's, you know, a talk about emotions more, um, talk yeah. about empathy and how that resonates with your customers, um, at what level that resonates. Certainly, um, I'm always an advocate of if you want to understand what's important to your customers, go and ask them. Don't second guess. Yes. Um, I remember doing a project once with an organization where instead of trying to brainstorm what customers wanted in this particular industry, mm-hmm. they had a mailing list in marketing. So actually, let's go out to those customers suggest what might be important, but give them the opportunity to Mm -hmm. suggest what behaviors they might want to see when interacting. And that was very telling. You ask customers even more to prioritize those, prioritize those things that are important to them. And you have a concise list and then they can become your customer drivers, in effect, of good experience. And your customers have told you what they want. Um, Be very wary of of guessing what your customers want from an internal organizational perspective. Um, think about them as humans rather than um, rather numbers. than statistics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Numbers. You want to be <laughs> rather than numbers. Yeah, and as people instead of customers, really at the end of the day, um, and what they want as people, as human people. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, James, thank you so much for such a nice nice exchange today. Uh, when is your next presentation? <laughs> oh gosh, um, X4 in London, uh, 6th of June, nice. um, which nice. will be held at the Intercontinental um, at the O2 in central London. So yeah, please register online. Um, if you if you search that, you'll find us. Um, I'll be presenting there with um, Isabel Zadatny, who is coming over from the US, and from uh, with Cecilia Herbert, who is coming over from Sydney. So we'll have an XM Institute room there where you can come and meet us and um, learn all about the training certifications that we do. So yeah, see you there, hopefully. Amazing. Yeah. We hope to see all of our listeners there, hopefully. Um, and, uh, I hope all of you enjoyed it as much as I did. I hope you enjoyed it too, James. Uh, is there anything you want to add before we say bye? Um, look, don't miss the free resources that we've got on XMInstitute.com. Um, and, uh, join XM pros, our free community, and we'll match you up with some likewise, um, like-minded practitioners that can share in the same challenges that you, you've got. And because um, if you're a CX or UX pr- practitioner, you're not alone. You've got the same challenges. Come and share them and we'll find some mm. resolutions. Amazing. Well, thank you for listening, everyone. Um, I'll say I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for being here with us. Bye. Bye-bye.